Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. Okay, guys. Good morning. Uh, we're going to look at, uh, probably because we're getting school started back and Vanderbilt's back and there's just so much excitement going to like 100 degree football games, and, which is a blast. Football weather. Um, just that it, I think it's just a good time, especially to look at this passage after yesterday, 20 years after September 11th. And just thinking about how many times I've said post-September 11th. That's how, that's how monumental, that's how tragic, that's how outrageous, that's how horrible it was post 9-11. There's before 9-11, there's after 9-11. And I was thinking of the, the line from the, A Holy Night for some reason. A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. A weary world there's weariness. Post 9-11 world is a, is a uniquely weary world. Both at a global level and at a personal level. So you're coming in here with your own type of weariness that the Lord wants to speak to. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble and heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would feed us, Holy Spirit, with the Word, the Word made flesh with Jesus Himself. We're so hungry for that, even more than we can say. And so would you bless your people today as we look at your word, as we look at Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. You know, a simple definition of rest is just to cease from work and care. So 
a simple definition, to cease from work and from care. And I was watching um, a documentary about uh, Disney World. My family's a Disney family. Sorry, if that, that's, that's what we are. Um, I didn't choose it. That's just what God wanted us to be. It chose us. Uh, but we were watching a, a documentary on Imagineers. Now, Imagineers are like the engineers, people who build Disney, who create Disney, you know, dream it up. And there was a documentary on Imagineers. And as the series was coming to an end, the Imagineers were kind of starting to kind of get philosophical about why they do what they do. And one of them said, you know what the magic is really about? Why do, why do they work? He said, underneath it all is the simple message that it's all going to be now. In here is beauty and order. It's really powerful. Whatever happening, all the, all the work and all the care and all the worries of the world. In fact, when you walk through the gates of Disney World, it says like, when you pass through these gates, you pass into a magical sort of land. You know, it's like you, you pass from work and care into a place of, <sighs> that's very expensive, by the way. It's very expensive. But it is in order. And like, the streets are clean. Main Street's clean. And people are singing like, good morning to you. And they're just piping the smell of like, candy corn like through the streets and it just is a happy exhausting place at the same time but why is it it's because we are looking for that kind of place this place that works this place of rest where everything's gonna be okay but it's not okay we live in a world where people fly jet planes into buildings in New York City. We live in a world where you have to leave two hours, you have to be there two hours early for your flight because people fly jet planes into buildings and you have to take your shoes off, you have to take your belt off. I lose everything at the terminal, like at the check, right? Because, because someone wants to kill lots of people because groups of people want to kill. That's the world that we live in. And so here's Jesus offering us something. How can this be true? Is this a bait and switch? How can he say, I'll give you rest for your souls. If you're worn out by this world, if you're exhausted by this world, come to me. It is a big, big promise he's making. What does he mean? So look at three points. Soul weariness. What is that? Soul weariness. Soul rest, point two, so what? Soul weariness, soul rest, so what? This is a big thing he's saying. How can Jesus say this? Because he's speaking right to the greatest exhaustion and weariness. And he says, all that are weary and burdened, or some translations of heavy laden, those who are wearied or burdened, the Greek word here means those who are tired and weary from some difficult or trying activity over a long period of time, a fatigue and exhaustion. And the, the other word, burden, it means to be, 
to be weighed down by something, to be almost crushed by the weight of the burden. And so if you take both of these images together, what Jesus is saying here is, those of you who have been carrying a burden are exhausted. If you've been carrying something and you're tired of carrying this crushing burden, your soul is exhausted. He says, anyone out there? That's what he's saying. Come to me. It's a plural. You're saying, come to me. Anyone that is weary by carrying a heavy burden, he's calling it out to these people. Chuck DeGroote, who I mentioned last week, wrote a book called Wholehearted. And he's quoting the poet and translator Robert Bly. And listen to what he says. Humans learn early on that the world isn't a a safe place. We have imperfect parents, peer pressure, academic pressures, pressure of success and failure. And they cause us to question whether or not parts of us are acceptable to others. And during our childhood, all of us begin to put those unacceptable parts into an invisible bag. A bag which grows as we transition through the pressures of high school into the rigors of college, the anxieties of, the anxieties of marriage and family. And by the time we hit our early 30s, Robert Bly, who, this, who talks about, who came up with the idea of the visible bag, suspects that the invisible bag has greatly expanded. Some of you in your early 30s, y'all, does that resonate? Weighing down even the most resilient among us. If we were wise, we open it, begin taking inventory of those forgotten parts, parts we perceived to be ugly or scary, parts that require much courage to face. However, sometimes, and I would say most of the time, the rabbit hole seems too deep. The challenge is too great. And we redouble our efforts to pull ourselves together, fastening the invisible bag tightly so that no one, not even us, and especially not us, would look inside it. That's what Jesus is talking about. The invisible, your invisible bag. And you're carrying it and it gets bigger and it gets bigger. And no one, no one in the human family is exempt from that. Everyone who is exhausted by carrying an invisible bag and the fact that you go like, I'm not sure I have an invisible bag means you don't want to look at it. You do. I'm sorry, you just do. And here's how I know is because we come up with a lot of strategies to deal with it. Success. A lot of our success is driven by a way to compensate implicitly. We're not consciously thinking this stuff. Implicitly trying to deal with those parts of ourselves that we put inside the invisible bag. 
strategies of success, academic performance, athletic performance, social adeptness, being known as influential, maybe the role that you play in your family, maybe being a mom or maybe being a dad, maybe being known as a great mom or a great dad, putting all of your eggs in the basket of your children's success, your talent, your relationships, your religion, your theology. In fact, that's the context of this passage. Is Jesus is calling out, and he's been calling out especially to those, those religious leaders that were adding to the burden with all of their rules and all of their regulations and all of the things they said. They're adding to the burden. And so Jesus, when he does things like, but Jesus would get really, really angry when that would happen. And he called them to repent and to turn from it. But all they were doing is adding more and more and more burden upon it. And he saw those Pharisees, those religious leaders, as being particularly burdened by their own burden, by their own fastidious awareness and, and adherence to a law that they had added to. It's our beauty, our body image. See, our strategies, our strategic self. I, I've also heard it called the inner evil genius inside of you who's always gonna come up with another strategy that one day, someday, I will find rest. I will make things okay. I will figure this out. I will crack the code and I will solve the problem when dot, 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 right? When I get into the college of my dreams. When I get married, strategy. When I have kids. When I retire, when I get their promotion. It's that contingent, conditional way of living are the strategies. That's what he's talking about. Even explain how weary you are. You don't even know why you feel this way. So much of this is so implicit. So much of this is non-conscious. Sometimes it's before we could ever spell our names. We just started running then. It's in the bone. It's limbic. So do I need to understand everything about the invisible bag? Do I need to analyze it? I mean, I need to put it into words? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, there is something really, really important and valuable, even essential about understanding how we've been hurt, how we've been broken. That's super, super important. But that's not a prerequisite for Jesus. Jesus has said, if you're weary and burdened, come on. Like, I think sometimes we think I need to understand myself, I need to understand the predicament, and maybe I can sort of get my hands around it. If I can analyze it, then I can fix it. That's not a prerequisite for Jesus. Your prerequisite is weariness and burdenedness. That's why he says, God, Father, Thank you that you reveal these things to little children and the wise and the learned, that is, those who are making strategies. It's hidden from them. Some of y'all can't explain it. And I think it's really, really good news, at least it is to me, that you don't have to explain it. You can just be wary. You can just come as you are. Soul weary. All right, let's go to second point. Let's take the soul weariness, the invisible bag, and the things we can't explain, and let's just go, all right, 
what kind of soul rest is being offered here? First of all, it's a soul rest. Jesus says, I will give you rest for your soul. Now, when I think of rest, I think of it being something pretty superficial. I really do. Rest means like silence, right? Rest means like, okay, I'm gonna take a delicious nap this afternoon. And there's nothing to be, no, don't get me wrong, a Sunday Sunday afternoon nap rocks, okay? So I'm not hating on a nap, but what he's talking about here is not the kind of conditional, strategic, superficial kind of rest. He's talking about a rest at the center of your being, a rest that is so, so deep. Your soul. I'll give you rest for your soul. St. Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Here's, listen, our hearts, you could say our souls, the essence of our being, the very center of our being, that part of us that really is carrying the invisible bag, that part of us that is so weary. Jesus says, I'll give that part of you rest. I'll give the very fountainhead, the very root, the very core of your being rest. The core of your being needs rest. The core of your being is what is weary. And I'll give the core of your being rest. Deep rest. Here's how he can say it is that the rest he's offering is not some thing. You see, it's not a thing that makes you feel at peace. He literally is the rest. He gives you rest for your soul. Not a something, a someone. And here's why this is so powerful, is that the people listening, the little children, that means There are people that are unsophisticated. They are uneducated. And they are, by the world standards, they're unimpressive. That's what he means by little children. He does mean literally little children a lot of times. But here, what he means is by people, as you'll read in the call to worship, people that are not important, people that are not powerful, people that are not well-read. He's talking, it's been revealed to those people first. And so how do people that are illiterate, uneducated, how do they get the rest? Is it because they sort of academically understand it? They sort of philosophically understand it? No, if you would have gone up to one of these people and say like, how do you experience soul rest? Rest at the core of your being, soul rest. They would just go, him? He's, he's, he's my rest. You know, as one of, my, one of my mentors once said, the reason we don't understand that is because it is so simple. The reason you don't understand it is because it literally is that simple. And our anxious ego, our false self, is always trying to come up. The evil genius is always trying to come up with another strategy to not be that simple. Some other escape route. Some other thing that I can do. I think the greatest barrier to true soul rest The great is self-sufficiency. 
The greatest barrier to soul rest is how competent we think we are. But how can Jesus offer something like this? Well, the first thing we know is because of how great he is. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. When he's saying like, no one knows the Father except the Son and no one knows the Father except the Son, here's what he's saying. No one is like me. No one, no, I'm in my own league. He is claiming right there in that passage, he's claiming equality with the God, with the Father, the Father and the Son. And so no one is greater than him. So no one has the clearance and the power and the clout to give you rest for your soul. You need someone that awesome that can actually meet the demands of your soul. He's your huckleberry. There he is. He's so awesome. I was thinking of this part of the story, of the gospel story. You know, when Jesus has been betrayed and then he's handed over to Syrophoenician guards, who would have also spoke Aramaic, and it says they're cursing his name and mocking him. They would have been mocking him in his original language, the language that he spoke in Aramaic. So I want you to imagine this. The Syrophoenician soldiers that were cursing him and spitting in his face, fake bowing down to him, hitting him in the face, Jesus was keeping their hearts beating as they were doing it. And allowing them to breathe and to draw oxygen and blow out CO2, enabling that breathing, enabling that for their vocal cords, the, the air to flow over their vocal cords so that they could curse him. And then giving oxygen to their brains to cook up different ways that they could curse him and slap him and beat him. The whole time, Jesus literally is keeping them alive. That's how great he is. That's, y'all, that's the king. He's the king. He's the great I am. Now, I want you to think about this. In our world and in our society, people that are great are intimidating. <laughs> They're intimidating. Greatness means unapproachability most of the time. Down the highway, Get out of my way. You can't get close to me. And if you do meet someone of greatness, most of the time, like, your, your hands are sweaty. You don't know what to say. If you've ever met someone really famous, it's just like they have this gravitas. It's like overwhelming. Jesus is the opposite. Here's what he says. I'm the king of the universe, and I'm gentle. I want to think about this. How many of you men would like to be known as gentle? I'm not looking for a raising. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> gentle. Gentle. I'm gonna let that sink in for a second. The king of the world, when he became a man, he described his heart as gentle. That 
when he's just describing his heart, and this is from Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, I highly recommend it. Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. When he describes his heart, he's describing his very character. He says, I'm gentle and humble or gentle and lowly of heart. That is a description of his identity, his essence, his character. What was Jesus? What was Jesus like? I wonder what it was like to meet Jesus. So to say that, that would have been the most characteristic thing to describe Jesus Christ because he's describing his heart. What am I like? What is Jesus like? Gentle and humble. Lowly, the word lowly means accessible. It means that most of us, if we would encounter Jesus Christ in the first century, we'd walk right past him. Because he was not good looking, Isaiah 53 tells us. He was not handsome. He was unimpressive. There was no comeliness, as King James says, to attract us to him. He was poor. He was homeless. He didn't have a home. And most of the people around him, the religious, the really powerful people, hated his guts and wanted him dead. He would have been someone on a sidewalk. He would have been someone in the corners. He'd have been someone in the shadows. And the people that would have been close to him would have been just like him, lowly. That's why the people of the dregs of society, the people in the corners of society, the most desperate people in society were his first followers because he was so accessible and so approachable. Dane Orland says that if Jesus had a, a website and the about portion of the website about me would be, since his heart, what, tell me something about yourself, gentle and humble, gentle and lowly of heart. You know why that's important for us? Because my invisible bag is overwhelming. I don't even know what's in there. Y'all could probably tell me more about what's in there than I could. My wife definitely could. But it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I carry it and I just, and it's so long. And I remember there've been different points in my life where I have gone in there and begin to look at things, but y'all, it's so exhausting and there's always something in there. And there are wounds in my life that are still bleeding. There are things in my life and things in your life that to me is not someone else that I have to impress. What Jesus is offering to me is, come down here. I really know you and I love you and I see you. How can you say that? I'm gentle and humble. You see, he's gentle enough and humble enough for all your stuff. He's gentle enough and lowly enough that you can't shock him for how jacked up you are. No exceptions. But guess what? He is majestic and powerful and kingly and royal and the most powerful person in the cosmos who can do whatever he wants to with that stuff, both of them together. 
your invisible bag has met its match. Because here's what that means. How can he give me this rest though, Richie? Here's what it's like. The rest he offers is not a rest that you have to get. It is a rest that you have all the time. How? He's eternal. And he's eternally gentle and humble of heart. So what is Jesus like tomorrow morning? The same. The next day, the same. What was he like in eternity? The same. And so here's the thing. He's always this way, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so here's what that means. That we have to learn how to sink down out of our strategies, that's what repentance is, sink down out of those places and to meet him in our lowliness, we can do that at any time of the day. Y'all, it's like, he's the true mobile home. It's a weird illustration, just buckle up. So what we need is this magic kingdom, this place where everything's okay, right? That's what we all want. And so we go pay a kajillion dollars, we fly to Orlando and melt in the 200 degree heat to do it. What Jesus is offering is the true kingdom that he's bringing, the garden of Eden, the the very peace and shalom of God that is his own person. And having him means we have home tomorrow. into the chaos. It's a mobile home. You take home into your work home at the core of your being. You take home into the doctor's appointment. You take home into that impossible relationship. You take home into your sin. You take home into your your actual house. You take home into your marriage. You take home into your death. What Jesus is offering is the deep, deep soul rest that by the Spirit, we can have access now. Not conceptual, we have access to it right now. And how do we get it? Our life falls apart and we sink down to the bottom of God's love. Or as one writer says, we become freed from the tyranny of fear in the midst of our fears. You're gonna be afraid, why? This world's scary. But we can be freed from the tyranny of it. Why? Mobile home. We can be freed from the tyranny of death. You're gonna die. But the tyranny of death, we can be freed. Why? Mobile home. I'll give you rest for your soul. Why? I'm rest. Holy Spirit gives you rest that comes from the Father and from the Son. You're home and you're not home. You're okay and you're not okay at the same time. That's the paradox. So what? Jesus offers us a yoke. What does this mean? A yoke, humble, powerful savior. Dane Orland calls it a non-yoke. Y'all, every other yoke in your life, your kids, your job, your marriage, your success, your past, your future, all of those things, they'll kill you. Or as my seminary professor Knox Chamlin said, every single obsession will destroy you except Jesus. He's the only master that will not absolutely pulverize you, including ministry. 
all the other good things, they'll absolutely kill you. They will not bring you rest. But his yoke is a kind yoke. His yoke, he says, is easy. His burden is light. Why? Because it is a burden of the kind, powerful Jesus. And so here's what happens. We begin to live from rest. We don't live to rest. We have to change that paradigm. Normally we think we have to live to get rest. One day I'll get rest. You're thinking about that. One day when my kids leave, we'll get rest. No, you won't. You'll catch something else. One day when this happens, I'll get rest. No, it's a rest that you have right now in Jesus Christ. He's calling you to an intimate, moment-by-moment dependent relationship on him where you bring your wounded, wounded child and you enjoy friendship with the king of the world. That's what he's offering you. That you begin to take the darkest, scariest places of your life and you begin to bring them before Jesus. This yoke is easy, his burden is light. That means a life that's lived before Jesus. And here's what happens. To live from rest with this new relationship with Jesus that is, that is because of his love and his power. It was doing something. It was tilling up, it was breaking up the ground. And so there is something about worry about secrets. We no longer have to worry about keeping it all together. We no longer have to. Children ask me, because this is my, you're talking about my, my thing that turns me into Gollum. How many likes did it get? And they're like, what's an Instagram story? And I'm like, give it to me, give it to me. Okay. The tree and say, wow, that tree really is lazy, isn't it? What a lazy. Because what Jesus is calling us is why his burden is placed on us for you, that Jesus loves people through us by the yoke to another program. He's also calling you to himself. We just couldn't make this stuff up. It is so, as you said, it pleases the Father to reveal it to people like us who have no idea what's going on. You said it pleases you. You said it pleases you. So would you be pleased to run away from you as we admit that we need you to come to our very soul and bring shade to people all around us and fruit for people?